uh, it's quite funny. Like uh, I don't have notes or whatnot or anything, and I'm not against that. And I'm not slack. I just it's not my style. I like to kind of just go with the vibe. And one thing I really have been sensing is to kind of share a little bit about my story. I mean, as Pete mentioned, my wife and I we haven't been here too long, a few months actually, but we love the vibe. We love the values. We love what you guys stand for. We love that we can run with people who love Jesus in the same way that we do. Uh, it's quite special and, and very important for us and so we really like that and so what I want to do I'm going to share a little bit about my testimony but I'm going to share it from a first person narrative so I'm kind of going to like bring you guys in with me as if I kind of relive the experience and the different things that I've been through and you guys are kind of going to share in that story with me cool all right cool so I'm 12 years old I'm the oldest of six kids and I'm having one of the best years of my life so far school is awesome my friends are great my family's happy and I'm doing really well at rugby the year 2000 is definitely my favorite year so far. I'm 14 years old. We have another little sibling now that makes me the oldest of seven. But my mom hasn't come out of her room for the last week, and my dad doesn't live with us anymore. They broke up. I feel rejected. I feel confused. I feel hurt. But most of all, I feel helpless because I don't know how to stop my mom from crying. It's been a few months now and we didn't have any food to eat. And it's been like that for a while. We didn't have any food for dinner. We didn't have any food for breakfast. We didn't have any food for our lunches. And the car got repossessed last week. It's raining outside, so me and my siblings, we gotta walk home. I'm hungry, so we gotta walk to school. I'm hungry, I'm cold, but most of all I'm hurting for my siblings and I think, what can I do to help? Just put some food on the table. Like, man, I'm sick of being hungry. A few months go by and I managed to get a full-time job in the school holidays working at Wellington Caterers as a waiter. And I work from Monday to Saturday for 12 hours every day. I serve people who don't acknowledge me. I serve people who don't even really know me. And I feel invisible. In many ways I feel left out because all my friends are hanging out at each other's homes and at the beach and the skate park enjoying being kids. But here I am around people who don't really see me as it feels like. I feel like I just want to be a kid. I just want to be a young person. But at the same time, I have a sense of pride because I'm doing something that's putting some food on the table for me and my family. After the school holidays, I pick up a second job at KFC in Poirot. And I'm often asked to work the closing shift, which means that I will work from 4 p.m. after school to 1 a.m. at midnight. And I reluctantly accept, but I take it because it means I get any leftovers from the day that wasn't sold in store. And any leftovers means food for me and my siblings. Train stopped working after midnight. We still don't have a car. I walk 30 to 40 minutes in the dark after midnight through the back tracks of Kennaparu. I'm tired, I'm cold, but I'm happy because I got food for me and my siblings. I get home, I wake them up and here, a piece of chicken or here, have some chips. I go to sleep, I wake up and I repeat, this would become my life for the next one year and a half. I'm 17 years old and things are a bit more stable now, we have a bit more food on the table and it's looking up. In fact, I've been able to focus a lot on my rugby and they named me first 15 captain this year at school. I feel really happy. And I've just received a letter in the mail. And it says, Dear Lee, we are pleased to announce that you have been selected for the New Zealand Rugby Secondary Schools Development Squad. And we are inviting you to a one-week camp in Palmerston North where you will train alongside some of the best coaches in New Zealand and other selectees from around the nation. I feel happy because this is my dream. This is what I've been pursuing. This is what I've been working hard for. <coughs> so I show mum, mum, look, I've been selected. Can I go? Uh, no, I'm going out for the girls that weekend. I need you to stay home. I need you to babysit. 
You see, mom's not coping too well with the breakup still, and she spends a lot of her time drinking at the pubs, at the clubs, and with her friends. I miss out on this opportunity. I feel ripped off. I feel like nothing I'm attaining or attaining to go after is going to work out. And I feel like I'm never going to live the life that I really want to live. I mean, why should I suffer the consequences of other people's actions? Why? I'm 18 years old, and my sister has given birth to these two beautiful girls, twin girls, my nieces. And these girls bring so much healing to me and my family, so much unity, so much wholeness, so much peace and so much love again. My mum and dad are on better terms and it's just a beautiful thing. It's really awesome. There's, things feel up. Things feel like, man, after four years, we're finally heading up. It's good. I love it. Things are looking great. It's August the 13th, 2006, the very next day after my 19th birthday. That night before, I was out with mates and we'd had a few drinks and a party and we stayed together at one of the guys' homes. I get called this morning at 7.30 a.m. It's my mum. Hello? Lee, you gotta come home. Why? Lee, you gotta come home. The girls have gone. What girls? Where are they gone? Your nieces, they're gone. Well, where are they gone? Lee, you gotta come home. Your nieces, they're dead. If my family ever felt pain, we never felt it like we experienced in that moment. Six months old, caught death. <laughs> and not just one of them, both of them, like that. The life snatched from them. These girls who brought so much healing to my family, so much peace, so much love, so much restoration, just snatched from us like that. <laughs> the frustration, the, the injustice of it, the unfairness of it, it's... It's nothing you wish on anyone to experience. And it's one of the hardest things that we ever, ever experience in this time. And now life really just seems to look like we're cursed. We're doomed for nothing. We're just a ugly, disgusting, filthy family who just are gonna take hit after hit after hit after hit. Nothing's gonna work out for us. This is our life. I'm 20 years old. It's been a year and a half since the girls have gone and I'm beyond angry, I'm beyond upset, I'm worse than that, I'm numb. I'm numb to life. I roll with the, motion, the emotions, I guess, I roll with the emotions. The darkness is so real, it's a real thing and even my suicide attempt fails, I can't even succeed in that, everything sucks, my life is just nothing. One evening I'm invited to my friend's house where after rugby training and his dad's watching this preacher on TV. His name's Jesse Duplantis. And this guy's preaching and sharing about this testimony, this experience he had when he was taken to heaven and he experienced all these different things and he met different people like Abraham, King David, Jesus. He got to meet Paul and he got to see the throne of God. And watching this guy and hearing him talk, it's like something cracked in terms of the layers or the calluses that have built up over my heart, if you like, the grief, the anger, the pain, the frustration, but something cracked and pierced and it put curiosity in my heart. For the next two weeks, I prayed this prayer. I said, God, if you're real, Show yourself to me. Don't be a pufta. And I, played, I prayed exactly that prayer. I'm not, that's exactly what I, and when I mean pufta, I mean don't be a weakling, what's what not. But that's how, that's the way that this feeling made me feel, if you like. And I was dead serious about it. Two weeks I prayed this prayer, nothing happened. You see, the thing is, I believed there was a God and I believed in Jesus, but I did not believe that he cared about me and my family. To me, he was no different than any superstar I know. I know them, but they don't know me. They don't care about me. And so for two weeks, nothing happened. And it was almost like, see? I'm nothing, I'm no one. 
At the time, a friend of mine, her mum invited me to what was called a Holy Spirit conference. I'd never heard of it ever in my time. I'd never heard of it at all. But because of who she was and wanting to respect it, I said, oh, yeah, sweet, I'll, I'll come along. And she says, okay, good, it's on a Saturday. <laughs> Damn, Saturday, that's the days of, of the boys who rugby, rugby club, then the nightclub. That was our routine for a Saturday. But here I'm already committed to this. And so, cool, it's on a Saturday. And it starts at 1 p.m. and finishes at 10 p.m. Nine hours. <laughs> I've not been to church in like nine years. And you expect me to come and turn up and sit for like nine hours. So for me, that strike two, I'm already like, oh, I can't. I've already committed to it, but I can't pull out of it. Strike two. It's May 31st, 2008. And we turn up and it's a small Anglican church in Waikanae. And actually, the guy who was preaching, ministering, was from the UK, a little short dude. And uh, we get there, we roll up, we open the door, and it's all old people. For me, that, <laughs> nothing like you young folks here, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's all old people. For me, that's strike three. No one's going to relate to me. No one's going to be able to talk to you. I'm not going to have a conversation about rugby or the sports or whatnot. They're not going to understand. They probably can't hear because they've got elderly <laughs> issues and stuff like that. And so for me, that's strike three. Strike three, I'm not into this. Saturday, nine hours, old people. I'm just not keen. Anyway, the whole day split into three things. It's the first service, afternoon tea, second service, dinner, and then the last service. So in the first service, everyone's singing and praising and worshiping. I've never seen it in my life. I'm standing right at the very back, arms folded exactly like this, going, man, these dudes are all brainwashed, man. Like, these guys have got something weird going on. But here they are singing and praising and clapping and hallelujah. And I'm, oh my goodness. At the end of the first session, the minister sends the ministry team out to the back. And he says, all right, we're going to send people out to the back. So I want you guys to go pray, get ready. Then we're going to send people out to you. And while they're doing that, everybody else is singing and continuing to praise and worship. And I'm standing there and people are going out and I get really hot. I'm standing there like this, my hands behind my back, and I'm getting really hot. And it's agitated feeling. You know the feeling when you've like, you've, you're about to leave home, but you're like, I forgot something. But you don't know what it is, but you know that you've forgotten something. It was like that, but 10 times worse, just a real agitation. And I remember sitting there getting hot, and I could see my heart beating through my top. I thought that I may be having a mental breakdown or some sort of issue just because of the stress and pain and whatnot of life that had built up. I thought that I was about to just crack. And so I thought, okay, if I go to the back and I get prayer, maybe they help me just to calm down, and then we can deal with whatever's going on. So I go out to the back and there's two little old ladies there, short little ladies, and they go, okay, hey, well, how are you, dear? What can we pray for? And I'm not a rude guy, but the way that this feeling made me feel so agitated, I said, look, just hurry up and pray for me. And I stood there like this. <laughs> it's the way it made me feel. And I'm standing here like this, and there's a lady on each side. They put one arm on my forearm, one arm on my shoulder, and then they start to pray. And as they're standing there, my legs start to buckle and get shake and shaking. And I remember, I had a flashback to when I was a kid, would wake up early before the cartoons came on, and Benny Hinn was on TV, and I'd see that he would touch people and they'd fall over. And so in my mind, in my heart, I start saying this, I say, oh yeah, who do you think you are? Why don't you try to knock me over? And my legs are buckling like this, and I say it a second time, oh yeah, who do you are? Why don't you try to knock me over? And I go to say it a third time, oh yeah, who do you are? Why don't you try, and then and then everything was white. It was this bright, bright, bright light, and the sound of wind just blowing past my ears. And it felt like electricity was just blasting through my body. And I remember trying to scream, get me out of here, get me out of here, but I couldn't even speak. It was like the voice was just pulled out of me. But this brightness, it didn't matter where I turned or how I looked, I couldn't get away from the brightness of this light. And for a solid 20, 30 seconds, I was in this space, and it was so intense, the, the visual of it, the sound of it, the feeling of it, all three components just 
boom, blasting me in that moment. For a solid 20, 30 seconds, I was there, boom, went away, and then I was back to normal. But if you were a spectator in that moment, you'd probably be embarrassing me because I'm the strongest, fittest young dude here, and there's these two little old ladies carrying me to go and <laughs> sit down. <laughs> kind of like Oompa Loompas taking chocolates to the river or something. It's just... <laughs> but it was so abnormal. It was so... That's not normal to me. That experience is not my reality. That's not the way life is supposed to be as far as I'm aware and as I understand. And so I'm sitting down and I'm sitting in the chair and I have no clue what's going on. I, I honestly have no idea. People say, oh man, I pray that I have these amazing power experiences and whatnot. But dude, when you have it, honestly, at least for me, it's, it's so hard to believe. It's so hard to grasp. I'm sitting there in the chair and I, for the first time in my life, I hear these voices, real voices from behind my head. And they're saying things like, who do you think you are? You're nothing. God wouldn't waste his time on you. You're unworthy. And it was so confusing because I know what I experienced, but now I'm hearing these voices and I'm thinking, I must be really having a mental breakdown. The second service starts and I get in there and I'm on the, my knees in the pew at this time and I'm just praying, God, is that you? Was that you? Was that you? I need to know. Because honestly, it was so hard to accept. I... I it was difficult to accept. I had massive doubt about what was going on. And so I'm praying there, praying there, praying there. 45 minutes go by, then I hear another voice. It was like a whisper, softer voice at this time, and it says, yes, it was I. And I just, oh my goodness. Like I heard that as well, just like the other voices. I heard that, that was real. And so for that next moment, I'm like, oh my gosh. And I start asking God forgiveness in my life and all this and that and what, not, not. But the doubt creeps in. It's so quick to come in, at least for me. So the rational mind kicks in and I wonder, oh, was I just thinking things? Or maybe it was sunshine or maybe someone opened the window with the wind sound. Or, you know, things go through your mind. And so I said, okay, I can't have this, I need someone real tangible to tell me exactly what happened there. So at the end of the whole uh, conference, if you like, I went up to the front to the young UK minister and I said, look, dude, this, this, and this happened. You tell me what that was. Without hesitation, he looks at me, points me in the eye and he says, you've just had a visitation from God. There were three reasons why I didn't want to be there. Saturday, nine hours, old people. <laughs> God gave me three reasons Three signs, if you like, to solidify that experience. The bright light, the voice, yes, it was I, and this UK guy, boom, this is you. Over the next three months, sorry, that night, I didn't tell anyone. No one's going to believe me. Like, it was that hard to grasp. I didn't tell no one. Even the people I was up yet, but the people that I went with, one of the daughters actually, I said, you all right? Because she could see there was something different. She asked me, is everything okay? Because she saw a massive difference in me. But I was so overwhelmed by all of it, I just couldn't explain or even express it properly. So I didn't even tell them what happened. I get home and my room is separate from the house. I had a little sleep out and I didn't even go in to see my family. I went straight to my room. I didn't tell no one. I woke up the next day, June 1st, 2008. I remember sitting up on my bed, looking out the window, and I'd never seen a sky so blue. I'd never seen hills and trees so green. And even the birds, the cicadas, the insects, they sounded alive, everything looked alive, and, and it felt alive, and I felt the same inside. It was so unreal, yet it was too real. That whole day, I still didn't tell anyone. It was more, it was like a light had gone on in my life, and boom, I saw life for the first time in years. It was just, it was so beautiful. It was so overwhelming to kind of comprehend and take in. That evening, my family happened to all be there. I mean, my dad happened to be over visiting. My sister and her partner happened to be there. Everybody was there in the living room at that time. And so we're all sitting in there, and I'm sitting on the chair like this because I'm like, I know I've got to tell them what happened, but no one's going to believe me, and I'm really scared and nervous to say it, to be honest. My dad catches me kind of doing this, and he says, Sonny, you all right? 
And then I tell them this story that I explained to you guys. Over the next three months, my mum, my dad, my sister, my brothers all make a decision for Jesus. And, and at the same time, I sit all my best friends down, my closest mates, the ones that we would go to clubs and drinks and rugby with, I sit them all down and I tell them about this Jesus and the effect that it's had on my life. In that same time, I'm already being asked to speak at, at little home groups, and I think two youth groups at the time, I was already being asked to speak, and I wasn't part of any church in that moment. It was just me, the Bible, and this new Jesus guy that I'd experienced alone in my room, and I would spend hours in the morning just, I want to know you. And it's weird, because I wasn't trying to know him. It was this instant desire. I just wanted him. But more than that, and more importantly than that, was the inward change within me. I had peace that I'd never felt before, and I had joy that was so... Beautiful, like I would wake up happy. I don't try to be happy. And I had this purpose in life that I hadn't had in years, which brings me to today. I'm 30 years old, happily married. I've got a beautiful daughter. We've got a son on the way. I own my own home. I own my own business. I get to live with the creator of heaven and earth. I get to walk with Jesus and see him touch lives every day. And I'm living the life that I once thought I'll never be able to live. That's the gospel, man. That's the gospel. And so I want to take from that story just very quickly, I want to take three lessons, if you like, that I can just share with you, and three lessons that for me have been staple in terms of my journey and seeing other people just touched and changed by this awesome God. I mean, he's so, he's so good. And people ask why you're so intense, and I'm not intense because my story's intense, I'm intense because I've discovered his love, and that love is just, ah, it's so good, man. You don't, you don't have to have hard stories or heartbreaks to know the intensity that I, I know. You can have it today too. It's right there for us. And so there's three things I want to share. The first one is about love. The second is identity. And then the third is the supernatural, the spiritual gifts. So the first one with love, you must know that he loves you. And you must know that he loves you uniquely. Not just universally, God loves the world, but he loves you individually, personally. He loves you. And it's... Often we've heard the gospel preach in this angle that we're all just sinners and we needed somebody to pay for our sins. And while it's true, it doesn't tell the full story nor reveal the heart and why of the Father to do that. And if we fail to understand that heart and why, then we never get to experience or fully enter into the fellowship, the intimacy, and the relationship that he desires with us. And so very quickly, I want to try and give clarity to that so that we can enter into that intensity, that, that fellowship, that love relationship that he desires with us. And so it looks like this. When God looked from heaven, he didn't look at you and I and go, oh my God, oh myself, this is disgusting. Look at these people, filthy, pathetic, greed, pride, lust, this is disgusting in my sight. Jesus, please go down there, clean up this mess because I cannot stand it, yuck. Now when God looked from heaven, he looked at you and I and he said, my son, my daughter, that sin that you're in, that sin that tries to consume you, that sin that tries to separate you from me, it's not who you are. I know who you truly are, and I know who I created you to be. So I'm sending my son Jesus to come down there to rip off the lie of sin, to reveal your created value, and to show you who you truly are, that you are loved by me, that you are desired by me, that you are longed for by me, that I sing and dance over you every day, and that I desire to be with you forever. And you see, the crazy thing is that God didn't just say it. He actually did it. That's how intense. That's how outrageous his love is. And I mean, can you hear that? Maybe even feel that now that you even just have a fraction understanding of the heart and why of God to do that. And I mean, think about this. Think about this for one moment. If God had to give up his son for you and I, we must be of great value to the Father. 
you must be of great value. And it's true, you are worth the blood of Jesus. Your life has significance. Your life has value. You are somebody, you have purpose, and you are so loved by God. And you cannot stop Jesus from loving you. You could hate Jesus, mock Jesus, curse Jesus, want nothing to do with Jesus, not even believe in Jesus, and he'll still love you. In fact, you could crucify again, hang him on the cross, bury him in the tomb, and he'll still raise himself up from the dead and hunt you down just to tell you, I love you. You cannot stop him from loving you. And his love for you is not dependent on anything that you and I do. It's, it's nothing to do with anything you should do, could do, would do, or won't do. It's just the way he feels about you, period, full stop. He loves you. And he won't love you any better when you become better. And he won't love you any less if you decide to live less. He loves you 100% right now, equally, unconditionally, eternally, completely right now. The same way that he loves you, he loves me and vice versa. You cannot stop him from loving you. His love is unstoppable and it's beautiful. Romans chapter 5 verses 8 says that God demonstrates his love like this. While we were still sinners, Christ came. While we were still sinners, while we were still in our filth, our darkness, our lust, our greed and pride, while we were still in that icky yucky, he still came. Love pursues man. The goodness of God leads man to repentance. He would leave the 99 just to seek the one. Oh. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and not holding their sins against them. He loves you and he will pursue you all the days of your life and you cannot stop him from loving you. And still in that same time, there'll be some who say, oh, you know, it's not all about love, you know, brother. And I understand where that comment comes from, but dude, it's all about love. From start to finish, beginning to end, it's completely and entirely about love. In fact, I'll give you five reasons right now. In fact, now let's go for 10. Off the cuff, let's go for 10. There's 10 commandments. I'm going to give you 10 reasons why this whole thing is about love. The first one is this. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says that God is love. It does not say that he's loving. He is love. The very essence of his being is love. Therefore, everything that God says and does is an expression of his love. His judgment is an expression of love. His justice is an expression of love. His mercy, his forgiveness, his redemption, his correction, his discipline is all an expression of love. One of the biggest problems we have today, and often where that type of comment comes from, that it's not all about love, is that we've taken the negative sounding expressions and we put them in one corner, and then we take the nice sounding ones and we put them in another, and we don't talk too much about the negative ones like judgment or repentance or justice or correction, but we talk heaps about mercy and grace. And the reason why we do that is because we have seen illegitimate acts and misuse of those terms in the past. We've seen the way that religion and legalism has taken them, presented them in a misused, just bad way, and we've seen the pain and destruction that has caused people. And so in fear of not wanting to reproduce that same pain, we don't talk about it too much and we leave it to the side. But anytime you and I choose not to address or present issues that in their truest form are beautiful, Whenever we choose not to because we're afraid of reproducing that pain, we're already deceived. You see, what we need to do instead, instead of being afraid of it, let us take off the religious poisonous vines of legalism and falsehood, bring them back to their true foundation and represent them in their purest form. You see, I'm convinced that one of the most forgotten messages today, yet one of the most important messages, is the message of repentance. Repentance is a beautiful thing. It's amazing. It's awesome. But because the way that religion has put this negative stigma and connotation to it, even when we just hear the word repentance, some of us are like, ah, you know, it's, it's negative. It's not nice. But repentance in its truest and purest form is beautiful. 
John the Baptist came preaching the message of repentance. That message of repentance was the way that made clear for the author of salvation to come through. It's so necessary. But because religion and legalism has misused it, we don't want to go there today. And dude, we need it. It's beautiful. It's so necessary. So we as the church, I believe, need to bring it and restore it back to its purest form from its purest expression and bring it back to the people of God. Bring it back to the people of the world, really. Because we rob ourselves and we rob each other of experiencing everything that God has. And that's not cool, man. I don't feel graced to go down that track at the moment. That's another message for another time, but you kind of get the gist. So anyone, the first of these 10 reasons why it's all about love, number one, God is love. Number two, Genesis 1.27 says we were made in that same image. If God is love, therefore it's fair to say when people look at yours and my life, they should be able to see the same reflection of love. In other words, the goal of our Christianity is to become love, to conform to the image of love. That's number two. Number three, Jesus said, all the world you will know my disciples by your good by your love number four Paul says all the laws fulfilled in these one things love good nice <laughs> Paul says that without love you're nothing you can speak in tongues of angels you can know mysteries you can move on mountains but if you have not love you've missed the whole point dude that's number five number six what Pete preached on faith works through love number seven love never fails number eight Paul says to put on love for it is the bond of perfection he also says that he who be wise among you, let him prove it by the conduct of his love. And the number 10, I show you a more excellent way, love. That's off the cuff, man. Like, I can keep going, honestly. But there's 10 reasons. This whole thing is about love. There's two disciples that we get this awesome contrast image of. We have Peter and John. Peter boasted of his love for Jesus, of his love for God, saying things like, I will go with you to the death and I will never leave you. John, however, boasted in Jesus' love for him, saying, the disciple whom Jesus loved. One boasted in his love for God, the other boasted in God's love for him. Now, when crisis hit and crunch time came, what happened? Peter, we know, scattered, denied Jesus three times. John, however, was there at the foot of the cross when Jesus breathed his last and actually went on to be the longest living of the 12 disciples. What does that teach us? Our human, and human, human love, if you like, is frail. It's weak, it's unstable, shakable, and that's why we scatter and run. But his love, firm, solid, strong. So much so that when crisis hits, boom, I ain't shaking, bro. I'm right here. That's how we have resilience in the faith, by knowing first that he loves me. So that's the first lesson. You must know that you love, and you must know that he loves you uniquely, not just universally. He loves you. Did I say he loves you? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Lesson number two, identity. You must establish your identity in him and in his love for you. When we look at my story, my identity for a moment was in my family. And that's not necessarily unhealthy, but when that family was divided, I was lost. I didn't know who I was, where I was. My identity was gone. When my identity was in my rugby, being rewarded, recognized, getting opportunity, as soon as that opportunity was cut, boom, I was lost again. Because my identity was in everything else that is so frail and weak. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 17, the baptism of Jesus, and we know the story, the clouds open, the, dove, the spirit descends like a dove, and the Father says to him, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Everybody say, the beloved Son. Again, the beloved Son. Good, all right. In the immediate next chapter, chapter 4, the Spirit leads him to the wilderness. He's tempted by the devil, and three times the devil addresses him as this, if you are the Son. What did the Father address Jesus as? The beloved Son. What did Satan address him as? The Son. Do you see what's going on here? 
When God said, this is my beloved son, what he's doing, he's addressing his identity in the beloved. And you see, God said that to him before he started any ministry, before he worked any miracles, any works, any ministry at all. He said, this is my beloved son. And it was from that place of identity that his ministry naturally and organically flowed from. You see, we've got to flip today. We think we've got to do the works first in order to be loved or pleased by him. It's not true. It comes from an understanding of your identity in the beloved. But what the enemy will do, he'll try to strip you of that identity. If you are the son, instead of saying if you are the beloved, he strips that word out. He strips your identity because if he can do that, he can have you. And that's why you and I must be established and know that our identity is in him. We are his beloved, that he loves us. A few years ago, I was asked to speak at a church in, uh, in Palmerston North, a Baptist church. And while I'm driving up there, I'm asking God, is there anything specific I can share with these guys, a word of knowledge or a prophetic word or whatnot? I'm driving up there and the Holy Spirit says to me, so clear, might as well have been audible, it was so clear, and he said, remind them of my love because they have forgotten about my love. And it wasn't in an arrogant way, but it was more like they were lost, wandering people who'd forgotten his love. And so I get up there, I share about his love, pretty much like I have now, and this one boy, 15 years old, starts crying, groaning loudly from in the, the audience. It's that deep, like, ah, oh, right from his very being. We get into ministry time, and I head over, and I say, is everything okay? And it turns out this young guy had been dealing with loneliness, depression, and suicide. But what had been happening in this moment is he is getting a, a touch from God, and he's not groaning from the pain of that. What he's groaning from is because the first time in his life he realized that he was loved. And what was going on is God was establishing that identity and drawing out, driving out all the yuck stuff, and this guy was being established in the Beloved. It was so awesome, man. It was cool. It was beautiful. At the end of that service, I walk at the back, and there's this Canadian lady. She comes walking up to me, and she's got her hands in her face, and she's weeping. And she falls into my chest, and I ask, is everything okay? And she says, thank you, thank you, thank you. You have no idea how long we have prayed for this message. Our young people need to know their identity. That was her words, not mine, man. She said that. And so I left that place feeling grateful, but I, I left grieved because I... If we, even in the church, are failing to help our people to know their identity, then what type of message are we giving to the world? It's not cool. We must know that our identity is in the beloved. If your identity is in your family, your culture and your heritage more than it is him, you will probably find friction. Be established in him, the one who brings you into his family, his culture, the kingdom culture, and actually enriches our earthly cultures to express God in the ways that they're truly meant to be. I'm not saying chuck your culture away. I'm saying when we establish in him, it beautifies these ones and really glorifies God. It's beautiful. If your identity is in your career, in your status, in your money, in your positions, you will probably find trouble ahead. Be established in him, the one who holds all riches, all wisdom, and the one who will teach you how to store eternal treasures. If your identity is in your ministry, in your calling, your gifting, your ability to speak, blah, pff, yeah, you will definitely find trouble. Be established in Him, the one who caused any increase, the one who brings value, purpose, and meaning to anything that you might do. Or if your identity is in your past, your mistakes, your regrets, you're already in trouble. Be established in Him, the one who sits you on his lap of mercy, embraces you with arms of grace, then pats you on the back, wipes the, the sleep clean, and cheers you on and says, go on, my son, go on, my daughter. I believe in you. I'm your biggest fan. We must be established in him. Our identity must be established as the beloved. You and I, you are the beloved. Last one. That's number two, identity. Last one, the supernatural. Now, my whole, sorry, Peter, be real quick. Last one. 
My whole conversion was supernatural, if you like. It was just power experience. Boom. Completely changed my life. I'm convinced that supernatural spiritual gifts are powerful tools that you and I use to witness and demonstrate the love of God to the world and then to each other here to build and edify. Have you noticed the the shift, if you like, things that's going on in the world today? Like the supernatural is at an all-time high. Things like Harry Potter and Twilight and vampires and the new age is on the rise. Why? Because the world's hungry for it. But when you and I choose to just be subtle about it or passive about it and don't want to go there and talk about it again, maybe of fear of misuse, we rob these guys of a demonstration of the love of God. And it's not cool, man. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says the kingdom of God is not in word only, it's in power. Chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 of that same epistle, he says, My speech and preaching was not of persuasive words of human wisdom, but as in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not be in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God alone. This is so crucial, man. I'll share one quick story. I was in Cuba Street, midday, uh, lunchtime. There's a, a Hari Krishna guy there preaching his story, his word of his, his book. And I get in conversation with him and I'm trying to understand a bit about what this is all about, what they believe in. And as we're sitting, this big Maori guy comes walking towards us, dreadlocks, guitar, and he's got a red, yellow, green bandana on. Turns out he's a Rastafarian. He comes in, he joins the conversation, he's actually seeking and looking for something. And so for about 10 minutes we're all talking, but mostly they're having the conversation because they're not interested in this Jesus that I'm talking about. And so in the 10 minutes go by and I say, all right, guys, I've, show, I've shared you a little bit about my Jesus. Now I'm going to show you who he is. And they kind of look at me like, is he in the store? Is he going to come in a taxi? You've got, you got a photo. And I say, which one of you guys has pain? The Rastafarian goes, oh, yeah, me, my, my left ankle. I've got issues here. And so I thought when he was walking to us that he was bopping like a Rastafarian, but he, he had a legitimate issue. So I said, all right, I've told you about this Jesus. Now I'm going to show you this Jesus. I kneel down in, in the middle of Cuba Street outside Whip Calls. I grab his ankle and I command the ankle, you be healed now in Jesus' name or pain, get out, leave him. I look up to him and says, all right, brother, before you check it, you be completely honest with me. It's still the same, it's still the same. If it's a bit better, it's a bit better. But don't say it's better because you want to make me feel cool or because you think this is awkward and you just want to go or I'll break your other ankle, all right? No, I didn't say that. But, <laughs> but I just told him, be honest with me. That's the main point. I get up. He's looking at his ankle, he starts moving around, he looks at me again, he moves around and he moves in a circle. And as he comes back around, he's got this big grin from side to side. And I said, is there any pain? He says, no, there's no pain. And I say, wow. I said, all right. I mean, you know, Hare Krishna, Rastafarian, and this Christian. You know, most people think debate's going to happen here. No way, bro, I'm not into that style. And he grabs me, he does one of the bro hugs, you know, the, the clap first, and then he brings it in. And then he says, he whispers in my ear and he says, I believe Jesus died for me. Yo, Ah. you see what he needed in that moment was not just another debate or persuasive words of human wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that his faith was not in my words or in man, but in Jesus. That was cool, dude. I could go on about story and testimony, man. You have no idea. It's awesome. But this is, I believe, uh, Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 to 8. As you go, whatever city you enter, preach the kingdom, heal the sick. It's as you go. I wasn't out trying to minister. I was just out for lunch break. But because you understand, one, you're loved and you know your identity, you naturally and organically love the world around you. It's normal pursuit. Mark chapter 16 says, These signs will follow those that believe. They will lay their hands on the sick and they'll recover. Now here's the question. If these signs are not following us, are we really believing? That's just a straight question, man. You've got to answer that for yourself. 
I'm not being hard. I mean, I'm not angry at anyone. I'm just trying to provoke us. Come on. Let's be bold with this, man. Let's be courageous. Let's be willing to put the love of God on display for people who are hungry for it. The world's hungry for it, dude. The harvest is ready. It's right. So let's have that same courage. So just finishing there. Number one, you must know that you are loved. Number two, establish your identity in him, in him that you are his beloved. And when you've got those two things in place, you will naturally and organically love the world around you. And as you do it, have the boldness, have the courage to step out, to demonstrate his love, to put God on display and show these guys that Jesus is Lord, that he is king. Let love compel you. Let compassion motivate you. Be bold. Be courageous. Love the love that we love and share that love to the world around us. You are his beloved. You are so loved. Your life has great value and meaning. And man, I wish I had hours more to share this with you, honestly. But it's good. You get a taste. Father, I just thank you so much for your goodness. And I thank you for the way that you love us. And I pray that everybody here would be able to encounter and experience that same love for themselves one-on-one, Father. They would have personal encounters with you, meeting with you and knowing, not just in their head, but in their heart, knowing experientially that you love me. And that you love me not because of anything that I've done, but because it's just the way you feel about me. You love me. And I pray that you help us to establish our identity and keep it in you. When there's a world that is so often trying to persuade us and pull us into other places, other things, I pray that you help us to be strong in our identities, to be resilient in you, Father. And I I pray that as we go as well, that you would help us to be bold and courageous, that we would really die to self and not love our own life unto death, that we would not give in to self-preservation and reputation, but we'd be willing to look foolish, we'd be willing to lay it down and just love the world around us boldly. I thank you for the way that you love us, the intensity of your love. It is so awesome, and I bless your name. Thank you so much, Jesus. Thank you so much, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus.